Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network, where we take a closer look each week at the wide, weird, and wonderful world of running. I'm your host, Jonathan Ellsworth. I'm also the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Off the Couch is presented by CBG Trails. The CBG Trails app is the only complete trail map app of Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley, Colorado. So download the app today and start exploring. Joe Grant is not so easy to describe. Joe is an endurance athlete, a mountain runner, a reader, a writer, a thinker, a filmmaker, and as you are about to find out, he is an exceptional storyteller. And so, in this conversation with Brendan Leonard and me, Brendan and I mostly ask Joe some simple questions, and then Joe responds with either a fascinating tale or a rather profound reflection. Topics include how Joe got into running, the story of racing and winning the Caballo Blanco Copper Canyon Ultra and how that affected his life, we talk about Joe's Tour Day 14ers, which was a self-powered and self-supported link-up of all of Colorado's 14,000-foot peaks by bike and on foot, and we somehow also managed to talk about a whole lot of other stuff. And so we'll now let Brendan Leonard kick off this conversation with Joe Grant. Joe Grant, thanks for coming to my kitchen to have donut holes <laughs> thanks and be for, on off the couch. Thanks, thanks, Brendan. Yeah, it's nice to do this in person and pretty tasty little donut holes. <laughs> so thank you for that. It does seem like donuts should just be, it just seems to go hand in hand with off the couch. So what seems like every time I, I see Brendan, he's offering me donuts. So I actually just commented on the fact that it's like, oh, you're a donut guy. And he's like, well, no, actually it's just on those, like these kinds of occasions, <laughs> I, do, <laughs> I do the donut thing. And so the last time was, uh, was at the start of the Colorado trail. Yeah. And, uh, you had a, a very large apple fritter, um, to offer up. <laughs> I brought I brought six of those I think. Oh yeah, well there you go. Some voodoo donuts. Yeah, because um, <laughs> yeah, Joe is uh, doing his fastest known time attempt on the Colorado Trail, and my friend Forrest, who was he was doing video. Yeah, yeah, it's a kind of a whole project we had uh, where there's Forrest, um, uh, Forrest Woodward, and then uh, Chris Parker, um, and uh, Brendan Davis. So it's all all four of us. Um, heading down the Colorado Trail kind of together where I was the, the runner guy um, and, uh, and also taking, some, uh, taking pictures along the way. And then Forrest and Brendan were doing um, video and um, um, photography. And Chris was uh, as a musician. And so he's writing a little album associated with the, 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 the project. So, um, and all of that was on analog media. So shooting on film and uh, both both uh, for motion and stills. So we had a, well, Forrest and Brendan lugged around a very heavy 16 millimeter camera um, and shot 
three minutes a day because it ain't cheap to, <laughs> to, 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 you know, you're a bit more selective on your, on your shots when you, when it's, when it's costing you a lot. Um, but, um, yeah, I was shooting a roll a day and, and in, in black and white and, and they had some, uh, color photography. And so, yeah, and it just kind of all came together in this, 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 uh, trip down, uh, down Colorado. And they were all riding in a, those three guys were riding in a van and Joe is hammering out the miles all day, every day. And I don't think you ate one of those apple fritters before you took off. I believe Forrest ate. Yeah, for, Forrest, for, Forrest definitely uh, stocked up for all of us um, on the start of the trip. Um, I was actually, it, it, it was kind of rough. I, I, I was pretty sick the first three days, so I couldn't hold any food down. And while I'm, the apple fritter would have been pretty appealing usually, like, you know, especially 40, 50 miles, whatever, into the day, um, I was instead kind of thrown up and kind of coming out of both ends. And it was just a really rough first three days where I pretty much didn't eat anything, <laughs> um, or at least what I ate came out. So, um, was, a was kind of a, a tough start to the whole thing. God, that's amazing. You finished. Well, it was kind of this thing where, so day one I did, I did, um, uh, I went to Kenosha pass, which is I think 74 miles or something like that. Um, but you know, got to Kenosha pass, uh, two or three in the morning, uh, completely wrecked. Like I just ran a hundred miles, like just throwing up everywhere, really, really sick. And so that they, they kind of all thought like, oh, this is it, you know, like Joe's gonna, Joe's gonna stop. And so I, I got in the back of the truck, slept, slept for like three hours and, uh, got back up and felt a little bit better and, um, yeah, kind of got back into it. So, um, but then really the, the, the broader kind of context of the project where it was not really about me trying to run fast on the trail. Like that's just like the context of it. Um, and it was more about, um, kind of sharing this experience with friends and kind of digging into place and, you know, being in Colorado and, you know, sort of interacting with the communities. And like, for me, it, the, the whole premise of the, the, the trip was, um, linking home in, in Gold Hill in the North, uh, to, um, my now new home in the Southwest in Durango. Um, so it's this home to home, um, idea and taking the artery of the state, um, to really kind of dig Interstate into that. 70. Uh, yeah, no, Interstate okay. 70, exactly. <laughs> it would have been less less photogenic if you drove on I-70. Yeah, and not necessarily easier. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we should probably sort of do a little bit of an introduction to you before we get too far into in the weeds of what you do. No, for sure. So um, we, have, we have runners of all shapes and sizes on this podcast, which I love about it. You're probably one of the, the more ambitious, I would say. So <laughs> Joe has, feel free to jump in with any stats I miss, uh, fastest known time of biking to and climbing all the 14ers in Colorado in 2016, which is where you and I originally met when I was driving my van down uh, Guanella, Guanella Pass, Pass and you were biking up. I remember, which mm. is kind of funny because you had the, you had the uh, semi-red yeah. like van yes the act with, with with that on the side and I was like oh there's Brendan we nev never actually met and I'm just like 70 miles in I hadn't even summited a peak yet and uh because I'm going up to Guanella Pass so the Mount Bierstadt and Evans are the first two 
and I was already bonking and I'd stopped at that grocery store in, uh, or the, the little gas station in uh, Georgetown at the bottom of the hill and kind of ate a sandwich on the side and then was not in the best shape going up the hill. And, <laughs> and I remember seeing you and, and, and you, I don't know, you made some sort of joke and probably offered me a donut. No, and- I said, do you need anything? And you said, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Cause I couldn't accept, cause my, my, the whole, the whole ethic was, it was, uh, you know, self-supported. So I guess random acts of kindness, like something that wasn't planned like this would have been okay. So the, yeah, there's these ethics in, in how you do these, I guess, fastest known time attempts, um, where if you're doing it, uh, self-supported, I, I wanted to do it in the way that bike packers usually do, um, races, which is the simple premise of just do it yourself. Um, you can't really receive any outside help, but anything that's available to everybody. So hotels, restaurants, whatever that is, 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 is fair game. But on something like, you know, the Colorado 14ers, I've been living here for, you know, over a decade. And so I have, I know people all over the state. So it'd have been easy to kind of have that all wired in. And, um, but that was kind of one of the little parameters that, that added to the, to the challenge was to just kind of do it, do it by myself. Yeah. So if we had like just set an apple pie on the road two miles ahead and you didn't know we set it there, you could grab it and yeah, it's like it's like you know um, trail magic. So yeah. okay. so the the whole sort of idea of of uh, you know and through hikers and just people just random acts of kindness, right? You meet them on the trail and they're like, oh, it looks like you're doing something hard. You know, here's a here's a sandwich. You know, um, and that did actually happen. Um, the um, the actually the owner of uh, Bentgate Mountaineering in in, in Golden um, uh, tracked me on the because I had a spot tracker. In, in the, I was in the park in Buena Vista, just sitting there, um, it, probably eating a burger from Kay's. Um, and, and he came along and he had a half a chicken sandwich and he's just like, ah, oh, he's like, oh, I've been following you, like, uh, tracking online. And he's super into it. He's done all the 14ers, like, you know, just a really passionate guy. And, and, and he says, I don't, I don't really have much, but do you want this just half a chicken sandwich? And I was like, yeah, I do actually. Had he actually, had he actually bitten out of it? No, no, it was one of those like cut in half, cut in half. Yeah. So it was, and I didn't, I honestly didn't care, (laughs) you know, at that point it was like, my my diet was very much, um, kind of a raccoon diet, you know, just anything goes. That's great. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So 2018, you had the fastest known time for unsupported Nolan's 14 North to South. And then 2019, this trip that we talked about at the beginning, uh, supported east to west Colorado Trail via the Collegiate West route. Right. Is that, am I missing any of your big? No, in recent years, that's, um, in, yeah, I guess in between that, there was a, I had a good run at Hard Rock in 2017. So the, yeah, the 14ers um, were 2016 and that sort of, I started first dabbling in kind of in bikepacking um, in 2015, rode the Colorado Trail. 2016, did um, the Arizona Trail um, on, on a bike. And what happened there was really just that I felt that in my running career, um, I, you know, love all the opportunities I was getting to travel and do these great races around the world. But there's a certain amount of, um, 
I guess stale is a little too strong of a word, but just it felt repetitive and limited to a certain degree of you go, you do the race, you perform or you don't, and then, you know, you kind of move on to the next one. And that's, that's what the, the context is. And then, um, so I wanted to do some stuff that had like tied in maybe to more of the original reason why I was into long distance running. And that was more about getting out in the mountains and going and um, basically getting fit enough to explore places um, on foot with little gear um, and, and and kind of moving away from, I was doing a lot of backpacking and climbing. And he was like, oh man, running, you just strip it all down and you can go do um, a two day backpack in a morning. Um, and just, there was a lot of opportunity around that, that, that really got me excited. And so then I got one thing likes to next snowball into sort of racing and 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 following that kind of career path, and eventually grow grew a little tired of that um, and wanted something fresh and different. And so that's when bikepacking kind of came along, and I was like, man, th- th- you know these these bike packers just kind of set off with hardly no gear on their bikes um, and just like ride the bike for 22 hours a day um, on amazing, in amazing places like, you know, the CT or the AZT. And so that, that was just sort of really compelling to me that as, as a, as a concept and it, it lived up to my expectations and it really just reinvigorated my whole kind of outlook on um, what, what I could do with some of these adventures, just both from a personal growth standpoint, but also just story standpoint and putting it out to the world. It was like, oh, this is, there's a lot of layers and it's more complex than, you know, I ate a gel kind of, you know, and this is my split up the hill and not, not to belittle that in any way. It's more just, just for me at that time, it wasn't really kind of, uh, fulfilling, um, what I was looking for. Um, and so the bikepacking kind of led into the, the tour de 14ers and, um, I was inspired by this uh, local uh, runner here, Justin Simone, who two years prior had done it in that style. So 14ers have been done a lot of different ways by car, you know, on uh, through hiked. And, uh, but I like Justin's approach of using the kind of the bike to get between the clusters of peaks, carry your gear, um, and then you'd be able to do the peaks um, just, um, you know, as you would a normal running day. Um, so I really liked that and it kind of meshed, I guess, my, um, background a little better to where, um, I could apply sort of my, uh, quote unquote ultra skills or background experience, um, into the bikepacking world and sort of have those two kind of meet, um, in a project like the 14ers was just like, I guess, just the right thing for me in that moment. Um, and that was kind of a launch pad into just a whole stepping stone of thinking about <laughs> uh, Colorado and digging deeper into the kind of the fabric of, of the place and just kind of, you know, deepening those connections with um, both the land, but also like, you know, the communities and just getting to know the the rocks and the trees and the, the, the you know, the hills a little better. Um, and that sort of informed the last four years really of, 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 of what I've been interested in doing all, all the way up until this last project on the CT. Mm-hmm. And if uh, anybody wants to watch your film about the tour to 14ers, that's on Vimeo yeah, on it's, demand. It's called the middle way. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a 17 minute film, um, which is a condensed 
38 hours of, 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 of GoPro and, and, and sort of uh, handheld uh, camera footage of me just sort of, you know, blabbering away at the camera and um, condensed into like a little 17 minute piece that, that I think um, does a good job at, at capturing um, basically where I was at in that moment. And so I think it's pretty honest, um, you know, depiction of, of kind of where my mental state was, uh, where, um, you know, physically I was, I was at too, just, um, you know, being able to, to, to kind of do it. Um, and so it's, it's kind of an interesting piece, even just on a personal level to look back and see that, that, that moment in time captured that way. Um, and then subsequent sort of uh, reflection and growth that comes out of that. And then like sort of actualizing that today and being like, wow, like everything that's happened in those four years have been, um, and it is just a constant learning process that's really been interesting. Some really, some really good writing in that, in that film. I remember seeing it on the big screen going, oh, I can't wait till this comes out so I can watch it again. And oh, thanks. Catch whatever Joe said there the <laughs> second time. Um, can we, can we go back to the beginning of your sort of, um, figuring out you liked running. You grew up in France and at a certain point you came here and there's some rollerblading <laughs> in there. And then <laughs> I believe the story you told me was something about a cross country trip and you figured out you could see, you could do more sightseeing if you ran in between places yeah. like art museums and stuff like that. Do you want to just go from the beginning and? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This uh, it's yeah. So what happened is um, uh, when I was eighteen, so I graduated high school in France. I, I moved to. I was born in the UK. Um, moved to France when I was six years old. My parents are both English teachers, and uh, spent my whole childhood there. Went to college there, and before I when I graduated high school, um, I took a a year off. So I came, came to the U.S. for a year to visit my grandparents who are living in Indianapolis at the time. Um, and I spent six months kind of there uh, with uh, just uh, working at a sort of order fulfillment UPS type facility, um, saving up some money and just kind of getting to know them better. And um, and yeah, and I was, and I was quite into, uh, rollerblading at the time. And, you know, this is the heart of the nineties and this is my thing, you know? And I was like, oh, okay, this, I want to see what this is all about. And the scene was, uh, was in Southern California San Diego, um, Orange County, Escondido, all of that. What year is this? Uh, this is, uh, what is this? This was like 2000, exactly like 2001, I think 2000, so it's right around you know, it was, it was still pretty like kind of burgeoning in that time. Um, and, uh, I, I met some, some, some friends in, in Indiana that were into it. And I was like, Hey, we should take a road trip out, drive out to San Diego and, uh, make this thing happen. And I had some connections, some French, uh, French guy I knew that, that was actually building skates, um, in, in his van, um, this guy Kato. And, and, uh, I, had this kind of nice intro to the scene in, uh, in Southern California and essentially spent three months living in a $700 RV on a mission beach and, uh, you know, uh, surfing and blading and just doing, you know, living it up for the summer. So are you like, is this like skate park rollerblading or what? Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Tricks and okay. rails and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, 
Um, so, so anyway, that was, that was, that was the thing for a bit. And then after the three months, I kind of realized that, well, I ran out of money and I was like, ah, this isn't really that sustainable. Like a lot of the, the quote unquote pro lifestyle, like the guys I'd looked up to, you know, when I was a kid, I realized like, oh, it's just maybe not really what I want to do. Like as a, as, as a person, like I like this as a hobby, but I'm kind of, you know, finding sort of um, other interests and, and things that, you know, um, I want to do. And so, uh, went back to Indiana and essentially, um, uh, to, got a, at the time you could get, it was a hundred bucks or 150 bucks for an unlimited Greyhound bus ticket. Um, and that in also included being able to go into Canada and back out of Canada, as long as you, you would, you would come in or out, uh, via the U.S., um, you couldn't take the Greyhound within Canada, um, but so I so I was able to like say go to um, from like Buffalo, New York to Montreal and go check that out, and then take the the bus back out. Wow! So I went on this kind of um, I guess little little sort of um, road trip by myself and. Uh, Greyhound bus and hitchhiked around all the East Coast, um, starting Atlanta and then moving on to New York and Philly and um, Boston and then going up into into Canada. And I had about a month of doing this and I had limited funds. And uh, what I felt was like a lot of catching up to do and just kind of my childhood had just been like focused on skating and um, just other sports and stuff. And I was like, man, there's just so much to see and learn and do. And, and I need to like, you know, get into this more. And so I started running, um, basically as a utilitarian in a utilitarian way. I was like, if I run to the museum and run to the opera and then I can run to this park and I can see all this stuff, you know, in, in these different towns. Um, and, and I was, really kind of broad ranging interest. So I, I did, I went to the opera in, in Philly just randomly because the people at the hostel that I was staying at, you know, had some tickets and they were just like, Hey, you want to go? And I was like, sure. You know? Um, and so, so it just did stuff like that and, um, went up to, uh, Montreal and there was this deal where you could go and stay at the hostel in Mont Tremblant, like, um, North of Montreal for free because it was kind of off season and they they gave you two nights there. So I was like, cool. I've never been you know up there. I'll go there. And so that's actually my first ever like I guess real trail run because I get to Mont Tremblant and I've got my had these um, little Nike Tupu. Um, I was gonna uh, ask what shoes you trail wearing. shoes and 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 uh, and so I had these these shoes and I was like oh and they were kind of trail shoes actually I was using them on the road to, to run between you know all the spots in New York but it, or, or or the cities but it was uh, they were a trail shoe and so I was like okay I'm gonna go run up Mont Tremblant um, and so I didn't know like you know what to bring or anything so I actually brought for food I brought a can of tuna. Um, I just was like, I, I don't know why, but so I ran up the peak, uh, and there's like a, this 360, like kind of, um, uh, a viewing, platform. viewing platform at the top. And I got up there and cracked this can of tuna and ate this can of tuna <laughs> and then, you know, ran back down to the hostel. Um, did you drink the tuna water? I, I do not recall, but it, regardless, regardless, <laughs> it's super gnarly. Like, like, you know, I was like, I didn't know about cliff bars or anything like that. I was just like, man, a can of tuna seems like, seems like the right this way to go. Legit. Um, yeah, I don't know why I thought that, but, but so that, that kind of, uh, you know, I guess that, that planted the seed 
you know, of, 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 of wanting to do this, um, more and just kind of enjoying running. Cause growing up, I, I played a lot of soccer and running was always like a chore, you know, something that you did, even though you, I was play another super sport. athletic. It was, it was more of just like, ah, oh, man, got to go run around the, the, you know, the field to, cause I don't know what it was. Running was more of that. Um, but here it was like, oh, it's pretty concrete application to it. Um, and I guess the better I get at it, the, the, the more you can do with it. Um, and I was also at that time really in this minimal mindset of like, I wore only white t-shirts. And, um, so all through college, I just wore plain white t-shirt and, uh, jeans and black shoes. And that was, that was just kind of what I wore. And I was like, my whole mentality around that or, or philosophy around that was just like, I want people to judge me for my character and, you know, thoughts and ideas rather than just like the way I dress. Um, interestingly, the funny thing about that is it be I became the guy with the white shirt, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so, so uh, unintentionally it was like a, a character <laughs> that I kind of created, but running kind of fit right within that, 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 that sort of, um, aesthetic of, of, of paring everything down. And, and it's, it's, you're also refining your body rather than say, depending on, uh, a, a, a piece of equipment, you know, so like a bike, uh, I love bikes, but you're still, it's not you, you know? And so uh, same with surfing. It's like you, you have a board and it's the way you, you kind of interact with the environment and running is, um, is very direct. And so your interaction is, um, yeah, it's, it's direct. And it's the more you practice that, the more you kind of refine, um, sort of sharpen your own tool, so to speak, both physically and mentally. And so that was very appealing to me. Um, and that led to, um, I guess this, this whole little kind of road trip around, uh, the East coast and this sort of, I don't know, maturing and becoming an adult or, you know, <laughs> uh, piece led me to, um, I went back to France and I had already got into a business school and, uh, was doing, was going to do international management there. And, um, but my mindset completely changed. It's like, man, I want to, I want to work in nonprofits and I want to like work on education projects in Africa. And that was what, what was, um, sort of interesting to me at the time, like basically help people and work, um, in, in, in that, and as, as opposed to just doing stuff for myself. Um, but so I saw the business school as an opportunity to essentially focus on nonprofit work and bring, you know, more like a, um, sort of business elements to, uh, running nonprofits, like things like having a good website, having, well, at the time there wasn't really, I hadn't really, there wasn't really the internet, but like just being more professional around, um, I guess, marketing and organizing the message so that you could translate that into being, um, a more, um, a better nonprofit, you know? So I tried to work on, on, um, uh, having, having kind of like using the skills and tools of the business degree to apply them to work that, that I cared about. Um, and that led me to doing an eight month internship in Kenya. Um, so I went to work for an, or an organization called free the children and, uh, spent eight months there with my now wife, Deanne, um, who we'd been dating for three months. And I said in, in Durango, uh, did this exchange program. I came here for a year, met her. And then after three months of dating, I was like, Hey, you want to go to Africa with me? Like in January for, 
you know, for, for a big part of the year. And she was like, yeah, sure. And, and she was interested in the same thing and same type of work. And so we went there. Um, and this is a long tangent into how running became a real thing for me. Um, because I was out in the Rift Valley in the, in the Maasai Mara, um, pretty remote area, living in these kind of military t- style tents, canvas tents, um, working on school projects um, in, in, in the kind of rural Maasai Mara. Um, and then I was, go, I would go running or go, um, go out with, uh, with these Kenyan guys who were all like goat farmers and, you know, um, lived very, very simply, but were also like, you know, 210, 212 marathoners that, you know, in Nairobi, um, that doesn't really mean much because the cream of the crops there is, is, you know, the, the level is so, so high. And so you've got maybe 500 500 Kenyans that were on that level. So, and then there's only um, a handful of those that are making over to Europe to race and, and things like that. But what was cool is I just realized like, man, you could be making less than a dollar a day eating, you know, corn and, and, and super basic kind of diet, herding goats all day, and then going out and doing a two hour run in the morning. Um, and, and, and it was just part of life. Um, so I saw like the, the whole accessibility of running and the fact that it was just, there's also a very big cultural element to it. And I really like that, that, that aspect. And so that's kind of what, that's where the hook was, you know, it's like, okay, this is sort of something that I want to invest more time and energy into and, and do it, um, you know, more regularly. So that kind of, yeah. Did you become a lot faster? in those? No, not at all. No, I was, I was mostly just absolutely just kind of schooled by, you know, it was like my friend, my friend, Mike, he would, he would always, he was kind of run up the hill and he would, he would talk to me the whole time. And I'm just like working hard and, you know, it's just, I'm trying my best and I'm not a runner per se at the time. (laughs) You know, I, I, I am, you know, I was just, I was just, uh, um, fit, generally fit, like outdoors kind of person, but not like I hadn't really honed in the craft at all yet, you know? Um, and so he would like kind of run up the hill ahead of me and do some push-ups and chat and laugh and just like, and I was like, man, this guy's like, you know, a seriously like a 212 kind of marathoner. And, but it was also cool just observing like, um, movement and, and running. And there's like a, it, it really kind of defined my, in some ways, like visual aesthetic around running of seeing like, the lean, tall Kenyan runner just running dirt roads um, in the Rift Valley. Mm-hmm. And it's it's nearly cliche now, but, you know, to actually sort of have a, a, a sort of insight into that early on where I didn't really know anything about running. Um, it was, it was just kind of like, I was like, oh, this is, that, that's, that's the top of the game right there. And, and it is really beautiful, like the, to see, to see them running, you know, there. And so that, you know, I kind of carried that, that little piece with me for, for a long time and actually was, was a big reason that, so the first race that I ever did was the Waldo 100K in Oregon. So at the time it was called the Where's Waldo 100K. Um, and what happened is, through this nonprofit work that I was doing, I went to India uh, for for four months, and Deanne was actually working with the Tibetans Women Association there. And it was like, hey, um, on the, on the, on the way back, I had this this idea that I was going to fly from Paris. Our flight was Paris to Philly, and then Philly to Eugene, Oregon, which is where we were living at the time. And I decided to 
get off the plane in Philly and miss my connecting flight, took the bus downtown, bought a bicycle and rode the bike 4,200 miles across the country back to Eugene. And a six, like a six week trip, unbelievable. Like had such an amazing experience. That's, that's fast. It, it was, it was fast ish. It was, it felt hard. And, and I don't know why I felt like I needed to, there was already some of that in me where I was just like, I need to, you know, go hard on this thing or, you know, I need to ride a hundred miles the first day. And then, and then I broke my chain like 30 miles in and I was like, oh, and that's so why so I had like a little booklet uh, or like the, the, the manual on how to change a, a chain link, you know? And so I'm sitting there on the side of the road, like with the tool and like, trying to, to figure, cause I had no idea. I hadn't done any of this before. And that's then not, I found that's I, not a beginner level piece of bike maintenance on the side of a road. Yeah. I was just like, <laughs> okay, like this little thing, like, you know, clips into this and wedges it out and you put the, I, I don't know. It was just kind of a funny, like, you know, sort of uh, trial by fire, like, and then, and then I find out you can break spokes and, you know, all these you trill wheel with, with your, your, your brake pads. And so, so it was kind of cool to, to learn along the way. Um, um, and then got to Eugene eventually after this 4,200 mile trip and uh, was, you know, was kind of skinny and fit. And, 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 and I'd been getting into this, this running stuff with uh, the Kenya experience. And I'd been doing like these long runs by myself, like around like say Mount Hood or, or you know, but nothing formal, you know. And so, so there's a local 100K um, uh, called the, Wal the Where's Waldo 100K. And you had to have a qualify, at least have run a, a 50K beforehand. So I wrote the race director, Craig Thornley, who's now the race director at Western States and said to him like, hey, like I'm 23 years old. You know, I just rode my bike across the country. I've never run an ultra, but I've done a lot of long stuff in the mountains. And I think I can, I, I think I could probably do it. So, you know, would you be okay letting me in? Like, cause at that time you could do this, like you could write the RD and, <laughs> and, and sort of like petition your way in like hard rock even had this where you're just like, you know, you could write and, and petition and say like, well, I'm, I've got all this mountain experience. Like, I think I can, you know, jog a hundred miles with sort of food buffets every five, you know? <laughs> um, and, and so I, 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 he let me in and, uh, and uh, I show up at the start line with uh, a camelback and trekking poles, which, you know, that was a Euro style. Yeah, and, and at the time, like, and still kind of now, like the U.S. is more handheld and, and there's a very distinct, like, this is the U.S. ultra runner look, you know, and that was still a thing back then. Um, and, and so I remember just staying there, only person with poles, um, uh, you know, at, at the start line. Um, and just kind of heading off, yeah, just, just, uh, and having kind of a grand experience. Um, my IT band blew up, like, oh, yeah. you know, I, I didn't realize that they're like what really what aid stations were like I, at the time I was just like, oh, there's these water stops <laughs> along the way. Cool. So I brought, um, I didn't know what tuna. To, I brought tuna, of course, <laughs> <laughs> packets this time, no cans. No, <laughs> no, I was like, I, I went, no, I went to, I went to REI and said, and, uh, and got, uh, 15 plain flavored goose. Cause I was like, this is what you do for running. You uh. eat goose every 45 minutes. It says <laughs> on the packet. And I was like, yeah, I'll eat one goo 
like an hour <laughs> or something like that, you know? And so I get to the, I, rem, I still remember like getting to the first aid station and there's a full buffet, watermelon and chips and all kinds of Coke. And I was just like, man, like this is crazy, you know? And I, I just ran right through it because I had everything I needed in my pack with, you know, my 15 <laughs> goos. And, and I eventually kind of yielded a little more and sort of start taking stuff, you know, cause I was like, oh, this is, I mean, it's there for us, I guess, you know? Um, <laughs> plus it, plus it, it tastes so much better. It does. Plain goose. Yeah. But, but it's so weird. Cause you get into this, this mindset, right. Of just, I don't know, like you don't know what you're doing. And, and I think you still do that today when you're like a beginner in something, you kind of launch in, you're like, well, how, how, how do you do it? And, and so it's like goose with a thing. And so. So yeah, that was, that was, so I got through it. Uh, it was, it was great. Um, and Scott Jurek at the time, um, was living in Seattle and, um, had, I forget exactly how we met, but somehow we had some, some connection and we'd been kind of emailing and we met up in person a few times and he had just gone down to the Copper Canyon to, uh, run the, um, Caballo Blanco 50 miler um, with the Tarahumaras and, you know, eventually, so this was in, I believe 2006 or seven that he did that. And so the book came out in 2009. Born to Run. Born to Run. Yep. Um, and so in 2008, the, the year after Scott had went, 2007, I think the book is the, the year that the book's based off of, um, they had gone down, had this wild experience. And Scott was like, man, you, you gotta go, you gotta go check this, this, uh, this run out, um, in the Canyon. And, and what I liked was that it, it sort of, um, a bridge to two of my interests, which is on the one hand, um, running. And then the other, on the other hand, it was kind of this humanitarian effort to basically you would run and, and the winner of the race would win a ton of corn, like literally one ton of corn that you could go then um, bring back and feed the community with. Um, and the Tarahumara also uh, um, traditionally have running as part of their culture. And so Caballo's concept around this was to reinvigorate this kind of ancestral um, um, cultural practice that the Tarahumara had, and while also um, benefiting the community by giving back through the form of you know corn and, and cash prize. So I took a Greyhound bus down from Eugene to uh, all the way to Chihuahua, Mexico, to Creel. Um, it was a very long bus ride. I remember sleeping in the Juarez bus station at four o'clock in the morning, just kind of naive and not knowing. <laughs> and, it, and I think at the time it wasn't quite as, as, as uh, it, at least it wasn't in the news quite as much, you know? <laughs> so, so we didn't know any, any different, but yeah, just took a day pack, um, some, some running shoes and water bottle and, and, and went down to meet this elusive figure that, that, that was Caballo Blanco. Um, and, we hiked, we took this bus down into the canyon, um, hiked over to where he was living in Batopilas. This is one canyon over from Eureka, the town where the, the race is staged and um, met the Tarahumara. Um, the course isn't marked or anything. So we walked the whole course as a preview the week leading up to it. Oh, wow. So this is very like, um, I guess, communal experience of like, you know, we're staying in Eureka, um, we're eating this amazing food, um, and, uh, we're walking the course and sharing like sort of the trails together and kind of just getting to know this. And then eventually like the race comes up and, 
this is my second race ever. And my first one, the Waldo race was, you know, my IT band blew up and everything. So I was like, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I just didn't, didn't really have um, much, you know, insight as to what my body was going to, how my body was going to react, you know, into the race. And so I took it pretty easy and just kind of, uh, you know, just ran it with no sort of, I guess, um, you know, preconception of, of, of what might happen. Um, and things ended up kind of falling into place and going pretty well. And I ended up winning the race. Um, and, uh, and it won this ton of corn and, you know, gave it back to the community. And it was kind of this very like moving sort of, um, emotional thing. Cause on the, on the personal level, I was like, wow, like, I, ran, I won the race. Like I, I didn't, I didn't know I could, I could run, you know, like this. And so it was kind of a cool moment for me. Like I was, you know, I was 23, 24. So, so, it, you know, it was, it was, uh, I guess kind of overwhelming in that sense. Um, and then there was just this very like heartwarming kind of community vibe and it just all felt right. Like I was just like, oh, this is exactly kind of why I like this sport and activity. And of, of course that's then the, you know, you've got the Copper Canyon, which is unbelievably beautiful and um, sort of a Grand Canyon times, you know, um, times a few. So, so that was just kind of really cool and, and, and really, I guess, cemented the initial sort of idea that not, not to basically make a career out of running, but more that, oh, this has set me on a path of, of wanting to do more of this. And, um, so Scott was certainly a big influence in that. And then, um, that led into kind of the, the early years of like Tony Anton Kapritschko, like winning Leadville and he kind of like burst onto the scene right at that same time. And so there's this kind of this, this like, um, synergy that was going on right then. And it was all very like kind of grassroots and, um, sleeping in our trucks and just running up and down mountains and, um, yeah, I, that that kind of snowballed into to to you know to today really <laughs> i'm a bit curious i mean you're in copper canyon you're winning the caballo blanco ultra when you're 23 24 in some ways at least from the outside it would be easy to imagine that as being kind of a crowning achievement of a race career not like what happens in your second ultra or third yeah yeah <laughs> to what extent did that leave you like hungry to find more interesting races i'm not really sure it's possible to find like more interesting races than that and that whole experience totally. so was there an was there an anticlimactic element of that you know, in the, in the next years, or did that just maybe reinforce a hunger? You've already talked a lot about these interesting projects you've done subsequently. Did some of that give you a taste of like, let's just try to dial up the interest level here. Like what was the response the aftermath of this, your second ultra? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I, I, I honest, I think it informed a lot of just, um, well, part of the reason is just cause it's my, my mindset going into the Copper Canyon was one of just curiosity and just excitement for all of it. Like winning the race was a, like kind of a bonus to the whole experience, but wasn't in some ways it wasn't the defining piece. Like it was more of just like, wow, like 
what running can do for you is pretty amazing. Like you can go and travel to these places. You have this immediate kind of connection and in with um, communities and and other runners. And so there's just, and, and it, runners are so, like you, you said at the beginning of the podcast, is so different, you know, it's come from so many different backgrounds. And, and so quickly, yeah, we have this activity in common, but it quickly becomes about people and characters and, 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 or, and place. And so, especially if you're looking at trail running, the, the first word in that is trail, you know? And so landscape and place is an important element to the activity. It's, it's, not just about running, it's about running in a certain place. Um, so the the races that I was then interested in um, were kind of had to have other elements of interest than just a competitive um, piece to them. So I was drawn to say the Hard Rock 100, um, I was drawn to UTMB um, in, in, in France. Um, and actually that ended up being my first hundred miler because I wanted to go back home to France and have that first experience of running hundred miles around, you know, one of the most iconic mountains in the world. So my interest in UTMB was certainly there was a little com competitive element to it because that's kind of where I was at the time I was like, oh, I'm doing kind of well in this. I should try and go and really race it, you know, but beyond that, it was more like, wow, you, we get to run around Mont Blanc. Like that's pretty special. And, you know, you go through three different countries and, you know, you're running by the glaciers at night and there's just some sort of like, uh, like it basically was kind of exponential after the Copper Canyon in terms of the possibilities of what you could do with running. Like you just, there, there's so many facets to it, such a complex activity. Um, once you start to kind of expand your view of, of, of kind of what's possible with it. Um, and that, and that definitely led into some of the staleness too, where it's like, you know, I'd reached these kind of plateaus of feeling like, oh, I've, I've kind of squeezed out all of the interest that I have in this event or this, this thing. Um, and it, it, it's just not really feeding me anymore in the way that it was originally. And so I think that's kind of prompted this continual sort of need to, um, uh, like grow within the activity and try, sort of like uh, use it, use these stepping stones along the way. Like um, I went up to Alaska to do the Iditarod, like 350 mile uh, race. Um, in so it's like you know it's winter race, pulling a sled. Um, it's along the historic you know dog sled course. Uh, the full race goes to Nome, so it's 1,100 miles. And then the JV event is the 350 from uh, Anchorage to McGrath. Um, and you can pick your, if you want to do it on skis, bike, or foot. And so I did it on foot, which is probably the stupidest of the three, um, <laughs> uh, just because it's more of a slog um, than anything. But, um, but it was just a really, really, really fascinating experience. Like I, I hadn't, I didn't really know what to expect to go and, you know, run in the winter in Alaska, dragging a sled. And, but that was super exciting about it. You know, it's just like, oh, this is, and so, so I was definitely, I would say from a mindset standpoint, uh, the reasons I went to the Copper Canyon are pretty much the reasons I do all of the things subsequent to that in, in terms of running is that driven by that kind of curiosity, um, 
of place, people, and 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 running kind of all coming together in that in that mix. How did it start to become a way of making a living for you? What was the first? Did you just get free shoes from somebody, or were they they saw? Yeah, yeah, that was exactly it. Actually, it was. Uh, I mean, part of it, I was as there's a bit of a right place at the right time. Um, you know, the trail running was developing. There was only a few people that were really truly making a living out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2008, Killian um, won uh, his first UTMB. I think that's, I think that was the year. Um, and the, the previous year, Marco Olmo um, won it and he was 59, I think at the time. And then Killian was 19 when he first won it. So it was this kind of like pivotal moment of like changing the guard a little bit of like the old kind of experienced, you know, sort of wise sort of mountain dude, kind of like giving way to this sort of burgeoning kind of rubbery youth that just like seems to like, I mean, Killian did it with like, you know, he, he just did it in shorts. Like he, he, he duct taped a, the, the camelback to his chest under his shirt to, to have the required water, you know, cause you needed a liter of water or something. He was just like, okay, I'm just going to tape it literally taped it to his chest and just had the the bladder in the back to show, like he would lift up his shirt to show them that like, hey, um, <laughs> I've got the required gear. And he brought like little um, women's like, uh, uh, um, you know, like pop socks, like tights, you know, like uh, uh, yeah. t- to use as his, uh, as his tights. Um, and so he had it all just kind of tucked in his shorts and, and, um, and no one even, no one believed him. Like, it was like, he won it. And they were was like, oh, he must be, he must've cheated. Like something, like, how is this possible? And, and it turns out it was just the, the, the star of, of, of that new wave of like, with, with him leading the charge there. Um, but he was taking over from, um, you know, Scott at the time was one of those few people that was actually making a living off of running. And, and I, I he had already won, I think he's seven Westerns and, and, and everything at that time. So Scott was pretty much cemented as, you know, an ultra running legend. Um, and I just kind of sort of came in right there at that time when things are sort of burgeoning in, in, and there was opportunity. So yeah, I got, I got six pairs of shoes allotment from Innovate, um, which is my first sponsor. And that's per year. Uh, that was per year. Um, that and it seemed like enough. It was, well, it was just running was so micro. Like, yeah. I, like I had a blog, you know, that yeah. was like a, it was just, it, it was, it was really small. There was nothing like, it was like, well, what's the, what's the benefit to the company? And Innovate was tiny too, you know? So, so it was kind of, for me, it was like, great. I'm gonna, I'm ordering these shoes from the UK anyway and paying like shipping or whatever to get them out here. Cause they were the only brand really making like trail racing shoes mm. at the time. So a lot of my running was just in, in road flats. And so I just used, yeah, road racing shoes. And then Innovate came along and put sticky rubber on the bottom of a, of a road flat essentially. And they was, they were, um, sponsoring a Jonathan Wyatt at the time, who was like this, um, led, who still is legendary, um, mountain runner. And, uh, so they developed kind of a shoe with him with like some, some, some real, some real sticky tread on it. And it was like, oh, this is the perfect kind of, uh, uh, footwear for, for, for the, um, for the environment that, that, that we're in. So, so yeah, I was lucky to get some shoes through them. And then, um, also just fortunate to kind of know, a few people like Scott 
and 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 then you know got to become really good friends with Tony and and um, it it really kind of just matured from there. Um, but I will say that that at that time, the the way to success, you know, quote unquote, is it was racing. So you know you had to kind of. Uh, get out there and, you know, race the big races. Um, for me, that that came as mostly through hard rock, you know, and so having focus on a mountain hundred that kind of fit my style well um, and, and just kind of, yeah, um, making a bit of a breakthrough into the scene uh, through, through, you know, racing well there. Um, and then just, I guess it just kind of, kept on building where I had a full-time job, um, working at a nonprofit in Portland. I, I, I started working at, also at the running shop. And so, so I was kind of connected to the running world, um, that way. And then had like this trail stuff on the side and you get some bit of gear, bit of shoes, bit of travel money. And then, and then it just starts to build and you're like, okay, then, um, I got involved with Arcteryx up in Canada and, you know, started doing my first photo shoots with them. And so it, it just, it just sort of kept on going. And then the projects I was picking, things like the Iditarod or, um, you know, um, going and racing in Japan with like the marathon monks and stuff like that. Those are, um, I think more maybe compelling storylines to the brands, um, than just like, okay, you're, you're a good runner. And, and this is all kind of developing like simultaneously, like brands are starting to see that there's opportunity in running. Um, I'm maturing and starting to see like, oh, I have to kind of maybe structure this a little more and have a bit, a bit more of a, um, like a, a presence and, 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 you know, kind of build up a, um, I guess a, a profile, so to speak, you know? Um, and so, yeah, just kind of got further and further into it. Um, did quite a lot of writing, some photography, um, did some coaching, um, and, and then just gradually sort of built off of the events to now nearly kind of, yeah, 15 years, not quite, but yes, I mean, I, yeah, pretty much 15 years down the line where I'm now working with Ike BD and Scarpa and able to have input on designs and um, content and and really get to kind of work closely with with the brands. And that's something that I want to do. It's not just, I just don't want to only do the running. Like it's it's something that that I love and that fuels me a lot, but that if I don't have the kind of creative and intellectual outlets as well, um, it it doesn't really kind of, um, it's not fulfilling enough. So Joe, talk about, you mentioned these creative and intellectual outlets. And, you know, I think for all of us, these things tend to shift maybe a little bit over time. What would you say are kind of the, some of the things at the top of your list? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, from the beginning, um, I've always had an interest in photography. And so um, I, my grandpa gave me my first camera when I was 12. And um, yeah, I started, I started uh, shooting a lot of film and he gave me just two very simple pieces of advice, which was um, shoot a lot of film, so practice and focus on detail. And so his, his advice was really just about a way of looking at things and then practicing the craft. And so that's something that 
um, I, I apply then subsequently to running or to any other things I, I, I do in life. And so it, photography has always just been a strong hobby of mine and something that I've kind of pursued on the side. Um, but then when it tied into, oh, you can, you can use that as a way to show some of the, you know, experiences and emotions and such that you're having in the mountains running, um, that that's definitely been a, a big kind of creative outlet for me. Um, the other one would be writing, um, just because it's a way to, I think, dig deeper into, um, you know, themes that surround running and sort of the, the, the kind of all the complexity and, 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 and sort of interesting storylines that are, that are there. So I've, I've been pretty consistent over the years, um, since the start of, of kind of certainly my running career, but even before that, just in, in writing quite a lot. Um, and, uh, yeah, so those reading, writing, um, and, and then photography have, have occupied, um, a lot of my, my, my time. Um, and, and they've, they've been influenced by running, but I think that now, in a lot of ways, it's coming more full circle where it's, 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 um, I'm seeing that the, the threads just go way deeper in terms of what, what I can explore and, 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 and use this medium for like, even just as an example, having this sitting here and having this conversation, you know, Brendan and I met in a lot of ways through, through running or through this, this, this project. And so it's led to so many different threads in, in my life and friendships and, um, uh, visiting, um, you know, tra traveling to different countries. And so all of those things kind of, uh, a lot of, uh, fodder for, you know, uh, thought and yeah, relationships and, and all of that. So. Can we talk about your mom? Yeah. A little bit. Your mom is no slouch at running. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting. My mom, my mom started running, um, in her fifties. Um, she's early sixties now and she started running in her early fifties. And I think originally it was this, basically this is this all consuming thing for me. And it was this way maybe of trying to better understand what it is that I know I found so interesting and compelling in it. And, you know, she's a she's pretty athletic, but, but she just kind of just started picking it up and, 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 uh, went on, on some short runs to start and then kind of got more and more into it and ran a couple 50 Ks and then a couple 50 milers. And then before you know it, she was, she finished her first hundred and, um, and it was all very, um, I think w one of the things that benefited her in her approach was that she was committed, but also had no expectations because it was all just kind of this, this bonus of like, oh, well, I, I'll just run for a little bit and see how it goes and, you know, eat a little bit of the aid station and keep going through the night. Like, I, I remember the first time she said to me, like, oh, I want to run a hundred. I was just like, she said, I, I want to feel what it's like to run for 30 hours. And I was like, okay. And, and, and I, and I get it. I mean, I totally get it. I, I, I love that stuff. You know, I, I, I definitely, but at the same time, I was just like, oh, it's kind of interesting. Like, it's cool, you know, that my mom's into that. And, and now she just completed, um, the, she just completed a 110 mile 
race um, this past summer in the middle of the the, the heat wave in France, um, which is super gnarly. Um, for her 60th birthday, we ran the Grand Canyon together. Rim to rim to rim. Rim to rim to rim. Um, and, and that was, a, was an awesome experience. We did it with my uncle and it was just kind of this really cool way to... Um, to kind of celebrate, um, well, her birthday, but also just, you know, running and the Canyon and being together. And so that was, that was really rad. Um, but probably one of the best things that's happened, you know, in recent years is that her practice has very much become her own. She's genuinely interested in the activity, um, has a great like group of friends now, um, the, the running club that she goes to home is, is, is awesome. They, folks from all different kind of um, backgrounds. And it's just a really, um, it's changed in a lot of ways. It's just like really influenced her life in a very positive way. Um, and I think so it, it started somewhat through us kind of sharing this activity together and it's moved into more of like, oh no, this is something that is is really great for her. And she's kind of found her quote unquote identity in it. Um, that's maybe too strong of a word, but just like her connection to it and why it's meaningful for her um, on a personal level rather than, you know, by association. Have you been there for any of her races? Uh, I have been, no, actually. I, I And the reason is, it's just because they've both been in the UK and in France. And so a lot of it's just uh, circumstantial where, you know, we haven't had that that overlap really. Um, but yeah, we've, we've done this Canyon thing together. And so I've seen her, you know, in the thick of it, hiking up the South Rim on the second, you know, on the way back. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's just, it's pretty interesting just to see how people deal with that kind of stuff mentally and knowing, like having that, um, type of, um, I guess experience with my mom is, is pretty unique. Um, yeah. And the one that I think is, is really, really cool. That'd be super cool to crew for your mom at like yeah. a race. And I'd like to at some point, and we, we've tried to to do this, like have some overlap in, in, you know, she's come to UTMB events a bunch and she's come to, she crewed me at Tour de Jean, um in Italy. Uh, so, so, you know, we've, we've definitely, she's come to Hard Rock to crew me a bunch. You owe so, her then. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, I definitely. Not to mention yeah. the whole like birth and. Raising right, you. right. No, I, I owe a lot to her. <laughs> um, yeah, so no, I would, I would really love to be able to, to, to kind of support her and, and yeah, go to, go to see her, her run. That's so badass. Yeah, I just want to see what it feels like to run 30, 30 hours. Mom, I don't know if you do, you know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Why well, isn't that, that's kind of what happened to you, right? No, like, yeah, I, I agree. I think like, I think that's a great reason to do it. Um, yeah. Sh- She's definitely a sick person, though, for, yeah, for yeah. wanting to do that, <laughs> as everyone is. But that's that's fantastic. I think that that sort of I raced for a while, or people people sometimes do get um, they move on from the competitive side of things. I've seen skiers do that, where yeah. they're like, "Oh, I raced for years, and then I discovered powder skiing, and yeah. I'm like, oh my god, you poor thing!" Like, right, right. Um, and I think a few runners have done it as well. And I've seen you and a couple other people do it where you continue to make a living, but it's sort of on your own terms. And also there's a storytelling aspect to it. And it's not everyone that can do that. But do you feel like 
do you feel like your creative side of you is larger than the person who wants to compete in some way? Like you're not thinking, oh, I wish I was there so I could see if I could beat person X, Y, and Z. Is it more like you're more well, wanting I, to have that experience? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I think uh, one of the aspects is that so when you're setting a goal to do something and like, you know, racing is, is very straightforward. Like it's, it's, it's a numbers game. It's like, you know, fastest point from point A to point B. Like there's not really, um, the context certainly allows for some, maybe some profound moments, but it is really, when you think about it, it's like, you know, you're racing. So it's, the gun goes off and, and, and away you go, you know, and you, and you try as hard as you can and you, you're, you're there to, um, to try and compete at least at a, at a, um, you know, top level. That is what the, 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 I guess the purpose of, of racing is. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think that that can be, um, really interesting and you can pour a lot into that, into the minutia of, um, and all the nuance of like, you know, strategy and physical training and just kind of all these pieces to, to refine it so that you're absolutely the best you can be. Like, you know, the, the, the marathon trials just happened this past weekend and that's, it's a perfect example of that. It's just like pure athleticism combined with like, you know, this, this kind of mental ability to kind of bring it on the day to be able to, to, to get that, that, those three spots, one of those three spots, you know? Um, and there's something I think very compelling about that. Um, and, and, and really interesting that, um, I enjoyed at a, at a lesser degree, but, but like, you know, um, see value in kind of pursuing. Um, but there's also something, in, and I think for me, it's more specific to the places that I actually like to do this activity where, you know, on the road, things are stripped down to just physical performance. But trail running, or maybe more broadly speaking, just being out in the mountains or, or outside, um, that that element of like, well, why, what, what are we doing in this environment? Like what's, what, what is interesting other than just kind of passing through, you know? And I think that there's, uh, um, for me, there was a tendency to focus so much on the goal of trying to say like run a time or run, you know, as fast as I, as I can, that it, it becomes very singular, like anything else in terms of experience, um, whether it's observing, um, you know, what the mountain's doing, the conditions, the weather, the, 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 just the changing, the erosion, the rivers, the, I don't know, just basically paying attention to where you are becomes, um, secondary to your primary goal. And so, so like, if I'm going for an FKT, uh, the central, um, thought or, or, or objective is to run as quickly as I can. But if you put that into a context that's like, say something like Nolan's where it's 14, 14ers in the swash is unbelievably beautiful terrain, you know, and to, to get to a point where I feel comfortable just linking that all by myself in the mountains has taken, you know, five, six, seven, however many years to kind of get to that moment in time where I'm like, I'm ready to do this like more as a complete human being rather than just 
physically I'm strong and good and fast and I can just kind of punch this out and get a time. So my interest in going and doing that is much broader than simply like the metrics of, of kind of checking that off my list. Um, and so once I started to sort of realize how much like um, goals can kind of get in the way of having a more expansive view and a more um, nuanced perspective of what's happening, I started to like let go more of that, that, that aspect and try to think, okay, well, what's a broader vessel to explore um, this, this place? Like what, what is a, 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 you know, a broader medium to be able to kind of like share and, 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 you know, have a, I guess, um, yeah, just a more expansive experience. And that, that has led to, um, thoughts around like say the Colorado trail and bringing in forest and Brendan and Chris and being like, Oh, what if we add music to this? And what if we add like, um, some photography and some writing and some just, just like, you know, essentially it's a reflection on brotherhood and fatherhood and being together in community. And so all these themes are there, but if I only focus on trying to run as quickly as I can to, down to Durango, that becomes a central tenant of, of, of what defines that active, that run, you know? And instead I'm thinking like, well, man, like, like Chris just became a new dad and he's out here on the trail. And so it's his first time being uh, away from his daughter for that long. And he's writing these songs about this experience that I'm having on the trail. And we're having all this dialogue going on at the same time, right? Like, and, and it's, it's all very, it gets very raw very quickly because after like day one, 72 miles, like I'm just cashed in the side of the truck. And so my filters are down. My openness and vulnerability is, is, is way accentuated. Right. And so the, 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 I guess it's the, um, how, how the willingness you have to really engage people at a deeper level, um, that isn't, as common in daily life, um, or is harder to to maybe re recreate in in daily life. And what I start to realize is like, yeah, but I want to um, actualize those experiences in my daily life. I want to be able to have as engaged of a conversation with you right now as I would with Chris, um, blown up on the side of the trail when I'm raw and vulnerable, and you know, crying about my emotions. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a hard thing to be, uh, to do because you're, you're really looking at trying to be completely hundred percent honest and open with who you are, with your, your ups and your downs. Like there was nothing really heroic about running the CT. Like I was a wreck, you know, I just was like, basically just, you know, tr trying to make it, you know, it was very slow in actual and, and it kind of comes out fast at the end because you're like, oh, damn, you ran like 500 miles in under nine days or whatever. And that seems like really quick. And I was like, yeah, but like if you feel every minute and every second of that and you're inching your way along down the trail, um, it's a long time to be like in your head and, 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 and sort of uncomfortable. Um, but at the same time, that struggle leads to um, it leads me to thinking like, okay, well, maybe I can try to bring this back into everyday life and apply this, this, 
maybe better version of myself and try to, you know, live up to that where you just have these moments of clarity out on the trail where it's just like, oh, it's all about love and just like the sublime of, of, of you know, look how beautiful these mountains are and how good our friendships are. And, and it's not all positive. Like there's also um, willingness to um, investigate um, harder emotions like ego um, or, or, or loss or, you know, things that are... Um, more, you know, depression or, or, or elements that are just kind of more difficult to deal with. And so when I get out there, I, I use this as an opportunity to just like feel the all of it, you know, and just like get way deep into those, those emotions, sit with them. And like, I just sit with, like, I'm just kind of running along the trail for like 20 miles and it's, it's taking me like six, seven hours, you know, like midway through the CT, cause I'm just not going fast at all. But during that time, like I might have like a six hour kind of stream of consciousness over, I don't know, death or something. And it's just really heavy. And I'm just kind of like, all right, I'm just going to sort of carry the weight for this next bit because I want to sit with that emotion and I want to just like feel all of it, even though it isn't that comfortable. And the resulting sort of reflection that comes out of it, it does stimulate a certain amount of uh, perspective and growth. Um, and that's kind of, what I realize running can do. And then when you add in people that you love or the people that you wanna actually spend time and share with, or just the spontaneous encounter on the trail, like the, just the difference between running by somebody and be like, hey, I got an FKT to bang out here, or just being like, wow, like who is this guy that's, or, 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 or lady that's like walking up the trail here and what's their like little side story and tangent. And all of a sudden you go down these, these, just all these amazing sort of um, threads of, of thought and ideas that kind of make up, um, you know, life really. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's what's cool. And that's what I, I think I want to just like dig into to sort of more deeply. Um, so that's a very roundabout way of saying competition didn't necessarily serve um, uh, its purpose anymore. Um, but you know, the, 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 like the origin of the word, and this is actually Craig Thornley uses this, uh, this, uh, little analogy, uh, at the start of Western States where he's like, oh, you know, competitions comes from the Latin comprar, which means coming together. So the idea at the heart of it is that we're coming together to have this experience, you know? And so it's less about beating people and it's more about coming together and trying to, meet sort of the level of challenge um, that, 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 that you're ready to experience on that day. You know, and I often feel that, yeah, just, just kind of being out there and, and um, uh, realizing that it's less about perceived notions of what you should achieve and the perceived success of what you should do. Like winning a race doesn't mean that much to me, but it does mean something if, I've applied myself fully and I've had quote unquote, just like executed like this, this in, in, a, in a perfect way for me. It's just like a mix of like skill and experience and fitness and strategy and all these things come together in the most beautiful context. It's like, wow, like it's an overwhelmingly beautiful thing when that happens. And that has nothing to do with, with, with your competitors, you know, and, and that's, yeah. So I, I'm going off a little on it's more community. Yeah. Than, yeah. <laughs> How much of uh 
these big experiences is just your version of a like eight day silent retreat, you know, like instead of sitting for eight days, you just go move and, and then you get into those spots where people get in their head when they're meditating for that, that long or whatever. Well, I think it's, it's, it's mostly around, um, it's a similar type of, um, I, I would say, um, effort and, and energy that's put into, uh, trying to do something well and trying to, um, use that tool in the most expansive way possible. So you could do that through music. You can do it through cooking. You can do it through uh, mindful conversation. You can do it through all different areas of your life. And when you start to realize that like running is just one articulation of, of, you know, a, a deeper sort of, I don't know, train of thought that you're having. And it's, you, I actually have the same thing when I'm, when I'm walking around and trying to make photographs or something where I'm just, it's, it's applied differently, but the, the curiosity or, you know, the, I guess the mental gymnastics that kind of come out of that are actually quite similar. Um, and I think that the, I wouldn't say the better you get necessarily at it, but the more you do it. So the time really starts to settle in and you realize like how these things are connected as opposed to compartmentalizing and saying, I have an hour to run in the morning. And so I'm going to go and run from eight to nine and I'm coming back and I'm going to go to work and that's my day. And running's just that. For me, I see it's like more of a, it's, there's this continuity to it. You know, it's like the way you go and run is the way you sort of approach your day. It's the way you set out and in, in terms of your mindset. So it's like, I come back and I feel good. I feel good because I've moved my body. I've interacted with, you know, nature. And I, I'm taking those, those, those elements and I'm then continuing to apply them in my, in my daily life. So this idea of like, oh, I just, once I've ran in the morning, I had my coffee, I feel like I've already accomplished something, you know? And so, they, and, and, but it's true though, you, you have, and you've already set the tone for, for what, for what the, the day is going to be. Um, and, and I think that paying attention to that nuance and paying attention to those connectors and those bridges and that essentially that flow is uninterrupted. Cause there's always these things of like, oh, I get this runner's high, right? And you're running along and you're, and really what that is, is that in the moment when you're feeling the runner's high, you're feeling the totality of existence. You're just, you're disconnected, but you're also completely connected. And so you have these, this duality that's, that's all of a sudden you're just like, oh, wow, like everything is kind of flowing. I'm, I'm working hard here to move my body, but somehow it doesn't feel hard. And actually I'm not thinking about how hard or easy or what it's feeling. I'm just, it's fully experiential. You're engaging the, you know, the right side of the brain, the creative side of the brain, the kind of the, the more gooey stuff. And then the, 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 you're leaving aside the logic and the, and the, the analytical and you're just there, you know? But what, what's happening is you're able to um, access that through this repetition. You know, it's just like tip, tap, tip, tap, tip, tap. You're moving your body. And it's, it's, like, it's like focusing on breath and meditation. It's a similar thing. It's your exercise, you're using the exercise to focus. And then as soon as you've managed to create that focal point, you lose sense of the fact that you're actually trying to focus. And so then you're just there and that's kind of what flow is. Um, but that exists all the time. 
it's happening right now. It's happening in, in every single thing that we do. We just create a barrier to that awareness by compartmentalizing the experiences that we're having. Um, so it's like, okay, I got to do the dishes, um, do that. And it's kind of this sort of mindless thing, but you can actually do the dishes in a very um, engaged, mindful way, because that is the only moment that exists is right there doing those dishes. So if you're not fully present, then, you know, where are you? Cause you, <laughs> so, so, so I guess I just try constantly to, I've had these moments on runs where it's like, oh, this is it. And then I kind of, and then I, and I come back and I want to write about it. And it's just like, it's all gone. And I don't, I don't know what, it, what, I, what I'm trying to, to, to talk about. Cause I'm trying to talk about everything all at once. Cause that's what you're experiencing. It's impossible to condense it, you know? So then if you look at it as more just like this continuity and this flow, then it's easier to actualize it um, and, and bring it into your daily life. Ongoing process though. It's like that, that saying, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. Yeah. It's a Nas quote. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't where you're from, it's where you're at. Okay. <laughs> I'm genuinely curious back, Joe, when you were talking about developing that minimalist aesthetic in college, I was curious if that, if you arrived at that through you know, reading stuff through films, or if that's just something that was more of a personal, you know, that came from kind of within, or if you were influenced by a different author or somebody else? Uh, yeah. Um, I think there's, uh, it's probably a mix of, of both. Um, my, my grandparents, uh, uh, both on my mom and dad's side are very influential, um, in my life. And, uh, my grandpa in the U S, um, he passed away in 2013. He was a, a philosopher, um, and, um, you know, had, a um, worked in the field of philanthropy. And so specifically more in, in terms of, uh, thought, um, rather than just like the practical application of philanthropy, like, like I was doing maybe in business school. Um, and then on my mom's side, uh, my grandpa is, um, he's 87 now, but he's, uh, he's a parachute, um, instructor for his whole life. So up until, you know, a few years ago, he was jumping out of planes, um, and is like an international judge in Dubai. He was on the, the British national team in the sixties, like full on, you know, parachuter. Um, and so I, I think I had kind of both of their, their influences in terms of like having this sort of physical outlet that my, my grandpa on my mom's side, you know, is just like, um, and he was in the past is in the air force. And so there was this kind of very, um, I, 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 I always saw like all his parachute boots and stuff were always like polished to a T, like his parachute was like packed really neatly. There was this kind of attention to like, this is the tool that I'm using. This is my entire life. Like if I, if, if I don't pack this correctly, I'll die kind of approach. And so I always, I sort of saw and, and maybe emulated a bit of that um, um, aspect in terms of just thinking about being very dialed on gear 
Um, but my personality is a little more like fluid and, and more just kind of like, ah, well just like, it's a good thing I didn't get into parachuting, you know, cause I kind <laughs> of been like, oh, what if, what if I could just jump out of the plane with a cape or something, you know? And, um, but, but, but so then, so I had this contrasting, um, um, I guess upbringing of having both of those, um, sort of simultaneously happening where my grandpa in the U S would, would, um, would always engage me in terms of critical thought. Um, and, and he, he, you know, had that original, you know, focus on the details, shoot a lot of film advice, which just really stuck with me, just the idea of practice and, you know, focus on, uh, details. And in a lot of ways, my grandpa on my mom's side was doing the same thing was, was just, it's, it's the little things that are going to basically keep you alive, uh, for, for 50 years, jumping out of airplanes. Um, if you're not paying attention to those things. So, so there was part of that. And then, um, uh, on the, on the writing or author side, I mean, I was a big fan of, uh, still am of Gary Snyder, um, and a lot of, uh, just generally Zen, um, teachings and writing. Um, I had a, and maybe that's just like, age, but I definitely had a big, uh, chunk of time there, uh, where I was reading everything I could get on, on sort of Zen and Buddhism and, 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 and kind of aesthetic sort of thinking. Um, so I, I draw a lot of parallels between running and say what monks were doing, um, in terms of like, you know, silent retreats and going out into the mountains and like not eating and fasting and not sleeping and all this, like pretty much what you do in running, you know, um, or at least on the, the hundred mile stuff. And so it, it, yeah, there was, there was, uh, there was a lot of that going on, um, in terms of my thought process and, um, which actually came to light when I did the, uh, when I went to Japan and did the, the race with the, the marathon monks of Mount Hie. So there's, um, this mountain, called Hiazan in, in, in Japan, um, that is, um, uh, the Shinto, uh, uh, Buddhist sect. Um, and these monks came to, it's about seven or 800 years ago, uh, settled uh, around this mountain and they use, uh, running as their vehicle for, uh, to, to enlightenment. And so they have this seven year, uh, very, very strenuous, running program where they run a marathon a day, um, for like 200 days straight the first day, uh, the first year. Um, and I think it's for the first three years they do that. Um, and basically they're going, they're running around the mountain and they're going to different, um, um, prayer sites and different, um, areas. And so they have mantras and prayers and things that they have to sort of deliver or say at each of these different, um, spots along the mountain. Um, and they culminate this, 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 um, this seven year training uh, year five with a, um, uh, a fast and meditation, um, uh, uh, sort of seated meditation over the course of nine days where they don't drink, eat or sleep. And they sit there for nine days, um, after having ran, you know, a marathon a day for the past five years. And it, it used to be 12, but too many of them were dying. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty full on. Like they, they, they would run with a, a noose 
and, uh, or like a, yeah, a piece of rope or a knife. And if they didn't complete the, the training, they'd have to take their lives. And so it, you know, this sounds all like quite extreme and it's less, probably less so now, um, in terms of the, you know, bringing the noose and the knife along, but the practice of essentially running and using it as a vehicle to, you know, um, deeper thought and reflection, um, it was something that just kind of really, um, like when I went there, I was like, oh, so many of these things are making sense now that, that hadn't before. Like, why do you go and like torture yourself on the side of a mountain for what? Like what, 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 if it's not about like trying to set a record, then, and what, what are you digging into? Like, what are you running away from? What are you like, what is, what are you processing that needs this level of, you know, um, effort to, to sort of break through. And then I realized that like, when, when I, when I saw the monks, I was like, oh, um, they, they, they've, 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 they've figured out essentially a, um, a path, um, using this practice and, and, and they apply themselves fully to this and they use this as their tool, you know? And I was like, oh, running's my tool. Like it's just something that I connected with in a way that, I hadn't really experienced in other, any other activity in my life before. Um, and so that kind of made a lot of sense. And then if you think about Japanese culture and, you know, Zen Buddhism in Japan and such, then you start to see all these like other parallels of, you know, how um, you prepare food, how you um, uh, organize your home, how you uh, cultivate your garden, um, how, basically how you apply the teachings of running um, to everyday life. And so it is less about uh, arriving at, at, at that point and more just about seeing those, those connectors and seeing how much kind of, uh, work I've got left and, and, and not, not just left, but like how unbelievably expansive all of this is. And you could just go like, it's just like a, a lifetime of, of curiosity, um, exploring these, these, these sort of ideas. And, it's an ever evolving sort of refinement of that. And yeah, it's super, super compelling to me. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Joe. I would like you to drink a sip of water and maybe another donut, maybe eat some more donut holes here. Uh, this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot for, for having me. And sorry, I, I kind of just get carried away in the tangents, but uh. no, that's your job. We're just, we're just here to like make you try to figure out how to make you say things and if you don't, it's it's really difficult for us. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a real it was a real treat for me. One, just hearing the different stories and and events of your life, but also getting a chance to hear the way in which you've clearly thought hard about and really tried to dig deep and process all of these different experiences. Um, so I really appreciate you taking the time, and I really appreciate that. Uh, seems like you've been doing a lot of good thinking uh, along a lot of these miles. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I really appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's not, um, I don't know. I, 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 I really respect, um, Brendan's work and in, in we, I was talking to him, um, before this about just, you know, the commitment to the practice and the daily, like it, it, Brendan was saying that his, you know, his blog's approaching 10 years here and literally written a post every week, which is unbelievable um, amount of dedication to that. And then 
also just the level of um, kind of humility of coming into um, the sport with just a different, fresh perspective is, is I, I think really just um, um, important. Like to, that there, there are uh, voices in the sport that aren't um, linear, you know, and it's not always the same kind of regurgitated stuff that we're getting. Um, even though there's st stuff that I love in the, you know, in the, all the racing and all that kind of stuff. I just, I, I really, really get into it too, but just the multiplicity of, of, of experiences and voices, I think makes it all the more sort of rich. And so, yeah, thanks for that. Well, guys, thanks so much. And, uh, look forward to talking to you both again soon down the line. Awesome. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Brendan and Joe for the conversation. Thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd encourage you to subscribe to Off the Couch, tell your friends about the show, and leave us a nice rating in iTunes. And until next time, keep moving forward, and we will talk to you again next week.